0: My name is Benjamin
1: Schmeiser. Mi nombre es Julio Banfi. I'm Emily Bishop. My name is John Myers. Hello, my name is Megan Starkey.
2: And my name is Ignacio Gamboa. Bienvenidos al podcast Queres Más Más Saludita. I'm gathered here alongside five educators, five people, five mentors who have shaped me, who have influenced me, who have made me think about my life as a student, and are continuing to make me think about my life as an educator moving forward.
0: I'm an associate professor of Spanish linguistics here at Illinois State University. Soy maestro de sexto grado de West Chicago. I'm a
3: Spanish teacher at Naperville North High School in Naperville, Illinois. I
4: teach at Jefferson Junior High School in Naperville. I
1: am a speech language pathologist and I work at Brigham Early Learning Center.
2: With their help and all of that they have shared today, I want to thank them initially for taking the time and for their words of wisdom, and for helping me compile something that I'm proud of, and that they should also be proud of. So let's get into it. Bienvenidos al podcast Queres Más Más My name is Ignacio Gamboa, and this is my podcast that I created as a project for my university. Soy estudiante en la Universidad del Estado de Illinois. La llamamos ASU aquí. Y estoy en mi tercer año aquí, estudiando la educación del español con subespecialidad de la educación bilingüe. This past summer, I had an experience in a bilingual classroom, specifically a dual-language classroom, which completely flipped my thinking of how a language should be taught in the classroom and our society as a whole. I'll get into that experience a little bit later in the episode, but I want to give some context about my life and my language acquisition before delving further into the information I've compiled. I grew up hearing Spanish being spoken at many times in my childhood. However, I didn't get much time to practice learning or speaking the language. It was always something happening in the background. Being at family parties with my dad and the Mexican side of my family, I missed out on being able to follow along with and understand the discussions at family dinners and the conversations that would carry into the night. It wasn't until seventh grade that I had my first experience in a Spanish classroom, which was such an eye-opening experience for me. After hearing the language throughout my childhood, it was so strange seeing the Spanish words written out that I was apparently so accustomed to. It was rough adjusting to writing and speaking the language at first, but it didn't take long before I was overflowing with Spanish. I sure have had my struggles, and my language acquisition didn't happen all at once, but I found myself falling in love with the language. Me di cuenta que la mayoría de los <laughs> profesores en las clases de español en mi prepa eran mujeres. Entonces, me cautivó ser un profesor entre muchas profesoras. Seguí la ruta de la enseñanza del español como segunda lengua y esa idea me trajo a Illinois State University, donde tomé clases con profesores que me enseñaron sobre temas detallados y fascinantes acerca del español. Por fin, tuve profesores y profesoras en mis clases, una representación básicamente igual algo que no vi en la prepa, aprendí sobre las culturas de los países hispanohablantes, aprendí sobre la lingüística y la morfología, aprendí sobre las normas y los estilos de vida de Latinoamérica, aprendí sobre el cine en México y Argentina, y finalmente aprendí que el español y mis clases del español eran mi hogar. Una de las clases que tomé, una clase dedicada a la lingüística y la fonética, ha sido mi clase favorita en toda mi carrera como estudiante. Aprender sobre las unidades más pequeñas del idioma en una manera científica y precisa fue súper interesante y fascinante para mí. El profesor para ese curso, el Dr. Benjamin Schmeiser, me ayudó muchísimo con desarrollar una gran capacidad para ese tema específico del español. Por eso lo entrevisté para aprender más sobre sus pensamientos acerca del aprendizaje de idiomas.
0: Yo aprendí, empecé con uh, 16 años 16. Ajá. y mi, hay, hay que entender en aquel entonces no había internet ni uh-huh. nada. <ríe> Suena tan viejo, la verdad, <ríe> pero Cuando fui a mi primera clase de español 1, era realmente la primera vez que había escuchado otro idioma. Wow. No. Eh, ni siquiera sabía cómo se decía hola. Wow. Na, nada. No. Hay un pueblo como 20 minutos al sur donde había bastante latino. Eh, hasta que tenían per- periódicos, si no estoy mal, en español. ¿no? Uh-huh. En, en aquel entonces. Pero como era de un pueblo monolingüe y no había internet ni nada no teníamos contacto con otros idiomas eh, era la primera vez que había escuchado eh, en mi vida otro idioma entonces me me encantó claro no mm-hmm. porque fue tan diferente la experiencia muy bien interesante no otro no mundo eso. otro mundo no yeah. no porque Hoy, hoy en día como tenemos accesibilidad a todo, ¿no? uh-huh. es, es, es mejor hoy en día, solo estoy diciendo que fue, suena un poco cliché, pero fue un poco, casi como una experiencia mágica. ¿Cómo ha afectado, o cómo ha cambiado esas experiencias
2: en términos de aprender nuevo idioma?
0: Eh, bueno, lo más obvio sería acceso. Uh-huh. Como hoy día tenemos acceso a a diferentes eh, medios de comunicación por ejemplo de eh, películas, canciones etcétera es, es excelente entonces mi recomendación sería no siempre tratar de eh, ver y escuchar y exponerte a cosas que te gusten ya no en inglés o sea si te gusta por ejemplo, Si te, gusta, eh, si te gustan los deportes, ¿por qué no lees la sección de deportes de un periódico en, en, en cualquier parte del mundo No, Es increíblemente. Es una gran ventaja tener ese acceso. Es súper fácil. YouTube es increíble. En todas las, por ejemplo, hoy mismo, uh, okay, para contestarte, hoy mismo el capítulo se trataba de español caribeño. Entonces, lo que hacía era, claro, ellos habían estudiado. Hace diez, quince años, nosotros hubiéramos hablado más, ¿no? Con TISA, hubiéramos hecho una lista de, de, las, de los eh, procesos fonológicos de esa zona. Pero, no es lo mismo escucharlo. Entonces, vimos hoy un, un programa, pero decían un show. Mm-hmm un show de la República Dominicana, donde un tipo va a a un campus y le pregunta eh, uh, les pregunta a, a varios estudiantes uh, sobre capitales de los de los países, todo eso, ¿no? Y, y que podían ganar dinero si contestaban como uh-huh. cinco preguntas bien. Y nos gustó, nos gustó mucho, porque podíamos escuchar a la gente en su ambiente natural. Uh-huh. Entonces, uh, primeramente... lo que diría era hacer una conexión con lo que te guste ya, ¿no? Sus hobbies, sus intereses, lo que sea conectarlo con el español Segundo de de, disfrutar del acceso que tenemos hoy día y cada día se mejora con películas con YouTube, con periódicos con cualquier tipo con medios sociales Reddit TikTok, todo eso es excelente ¿no? para escuchar y, y hacer algún tipo de contacto y ver cultura e idioma en, en su ambiente natural. Uh-huh.
2: Muy bien. Entonces, usted mencionó que le interesaba el, as- el aspecto científico de aprender o usar la lengua. Entonces, es um ¿Todavía tiene esa pasión hoy en
0: día con los cursos que ofrece? Claro, aún más diría yo, ¿no? Porque lo que quiero decir es, al principio, lo, lo que me gustó del español en particular, o el portugués, hay mínimo 13 idiomas que vienen de latín, ¿no? Se llaman idiomas romances. Y para para aprender un idioma romance se sabe que cada verbo tiene seis formas. Uh-huh. <ríe> Entonces, tenemos que memorizar ¿no? L- los verbos y los diferentes tiempos verbales para cada verbo. Uh-huh. Y me gustaba eso. Eso es lo que quiero decir. ¿no? Era como una fórmula. Y me gustó eso al principio. Uh-huh. Y claro, el lado cultural. Después, Cuando empecé a tomar cursos de lingüística, logré ver que había un subcampo, digamos, de investigar el idioma que se llama fonética y fonología. Y eso es lo que decidí hacer. Entonces, lo que nosotros hacemos es... Nosotros eh, tratamos de eh, estudiar y analizar el idioma en términos de sonido. El ejemplo más obvio sería... Diferentes sonidos para marcar diferentes variedades o también se dice dialectos.
4: Uh-huh.
0: Sí, porque cuando mencionó ese aspecto científico, inmediatamente pensé en nuestra clase. Exactamente, en, o, o sea, p- pensálo eh, en 311, en la clase que compartimos. Uh-huh. Para mí es interesante, ¿no? Porque siempre hablamos con nativo hablantes. Uh-huh. Y nosotros admitimos que tenemos un acento uh-huh. y, y a, es, sabemos que no hablamos como un nativo, ¿no? en mi caso, pero queremos hablar uh-huh. como un nativo hablante, entonces lo que queremos hacer es, en términos científicos, hablamos de los diferentes sonidos de cómo habla un nativo hablante y de esa forma los futuros maestros pueden tratar de sonar como ellos y o como mínimo Entender a todos en el mundo hispanoparlante. Una, una cosa que... Bueno, tengo, tengo dos. Uh-huh. Eh, el más obvio para un lingüista es... Bueno, cada vez que los estudiantes van a una clase de lingüística, uh-huh. la primera pregunta es... ¿Qué es la lingüística? Uh-huh. <risa> ¿Y de qué manera se, de, se, se difiere, perdón, de la gramática? Entonces, en, en la gramática, nosotros tenemos que ser lo que se dice prescriptivo. ¿Verdad? Tenemos que tener reglas y decir esto es correcto, esto es incorrecto. Por ejemplo, si estamos hablando de objetos directos y estamos hablando de un colega tuyo, tenemos que decir, lo que pasa es que lo vi ayer. ¿Verdad? Y se enseña lo y la. Sabiendo que hay mucha gente en España que diría, le. No, porque se llama leísmo pero como es una clase de gramática tenemos que como tomar una decisión ¿no? y tener correcto e incorrecto en cambio en la lingüística como es descriptivo estamos obligados científicamente a, a ofrecer un análisis de nuestro mundo que quiere decir si vamos a una comunidad de habla y la gente dice aiga eh, espero que haya mucha gente tenemos que describir el uso de donde viene y por qué, aunque es un error o se considera un error ¿verdad? entonces no nos metemos en correcto e incorrecto sino si un nativo hablante hablante en el mundo hispanoparlante lo utiliza de una manera sistemática tenemos que describirlo tenemos que analizarlo eh, en, de eso sería prescriptivo versus uh, descriptivo y en la clase de sonidos lo que hacemos es hablamos de una algo parecido pero hablamos de la, la, una norma lingüística y cuando hablamos de eso tenemos que tener cuidado y yo mismo ad, admito siempre en la clase cada profesor va a tener su propia versión pero tenemos lo que se llama la norma lingüística o que sería, sería también el español estándar digamos donde hablamos de los sonidos más usados y también no te marcan de ningún país en particular por ejemplo si habláramos de la letra D, ¿no? Y si, si vos dijeras ahora mismo Tomás y alguien de Ecuador dijera, Tomás, no, no, no hay diferencia, no, no, no te marca como un país. Entonces, hablamos de la norma lingüística, y de ahí a, a, analizamos diferentes variedades del español. Porque, gracias a la norma lingüística, podemos hablar de variación de ella. O sea, si alguien viniera acá y dijera, Cereza... Eh, eh, sabríamos que esa persona es de la parte central o norte de españa verdad entonces podemos comparar lo que habla esa persona frente a la norma ¿no, lingüística que es el gran mensaje bueno diría dijiste una cosa okay, una okay, okay. entonces cosas. mi mención honorífica uh-huh. <risa> aceptas una mención honorífica <risa> <risa> Mi mención honorífica sería, lo que dije antes, eh, siempre disfrutar los dos lados de aprender o adquirir un idioma. O sea, el lado más como de memorizar, más ciencia, más estructura, más fórmula, ¿verdad? Pero también conectarlo con el lado cultural. Entonces, claro, vas a memorizar el subjuntivo y bla, bla, bla. Pero también deberías de ver cómo funciona el subjuntivo en términos culturales en un ambiente o contexto natural. Así que, mención honorífica sería eh, conectar los dos lados en un ambiente eh, natural de nativo hablantes. ¿Verdad? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, y eh, número uno, uh, la medalla de oro uh, sería... Drumroll, motivación. motivación. Uh-huh. La motivación siempre, siempre gana. Uh, especialmente lo, lo más joven que sos. O sea, l- otra cosa que me, me, me gusta hoy en día es que los estudiantes toman el español más temprano, lo cual es excelente. No, eh, Más temprano, mejor. Pero... Yo tengo, por ejemplo, muchos estudiantes en mis clases aquí que nunca han salido del país. No conocen otro país. Y hablan mejor que otros estudiantes que, digamos, habían estudiado un semestre en el extranjero. Específicamente en este caso España o México, ¿verdad? Un, un país hispanoparlante. Y es porque la motivación siempre ganará y deberías de como celebrar tu motivación y tu interés en el idioma. Puede ser canciones, puede ser música, puede ser películas, pero muchas veces, fíjate Ignacio, que muchas veces cuando decimos tenemos que aprender otro idioma, pensamos en libros y también pensamos en en leer como documentos formales y literatura, lo cual está bien, pero al final de cuentas eh, somos muy como sociales, ¿verdad? y vamos y, y hablamos queremos hablar de las cosas que nos interesan así que cuando hacemos una conexión con esos temas en otro idioma aún mejor si 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 quieres lograr fluidez en otro idioma lo harás muy bien
2: gracias de que tengo I took Dr. Schmeiser's class this past spring of 2021. And I felt that, in that moment, his course has solidified my belief in teaching Spanish as a second language. Tomar una perspectiva científica con el lenguaje y pensar en cómo hablar con nativo hablante me ha ayudado mucho. Aunque crecí alrededor de muchos mexicanos en mi familia y muchos nativo hablantes, me ha dificultado mejorar mis habilidades de pronunciación y decir algunas frases como nativo hablante. Y Dr. Schmeiser Ha sido un figura de trabajadora en mi vida, y su pasión para la fonética y la fonología y la enseñanza me ha influenciado en maneras profundas. Su historia con aprender el idioma es algo similar para mí, y él muestra que alguien no necesita ser nativo hablante ni nativo para tener alto nivel de comunicarse y de pronunciación. Es súper interesante pensar en todas las herramientas disponibles en nuestra sociedad hoy en día. La disponibilidad de información en el Internet se hace muy fácil aprender sobre culturas e idiomas diferentes. Hablar con personas diferentes de diferentes países es más fácil hoy en día y solamente se mejora con cada día que pasa. Por eso, ofrezco mi agradecimiento al Dr. Schmeiser por este gran impacto que hizo con mi amor por el lenguaje y tomar tiempo para hablar conmigo. It wasn't until a few weeks later, in the summer of 2021, that I had a teaching experience at Lehman Middle School in West Chicago. With West Chicago being a Latino-dominated community, Lehman Middle School has many bilingual classrooms for students that come from Hispanic backgrounds, where Spanish is the only language spoken at home. Over the summer, District Thirty-Three and Lehman Middle School offered a summer camp for its students, which involved fun experiments and a lot of other steam-centered activities. I had the privilege of being able to teach and facilitate the students' learning alongside a newly turned bilingual teacher, Julio Banfi. A través del tiempo que pasé con él, me enseñó sobre la educación bilingüe. De hecho inmediatamente me recomendó que yo debiera considerar recibir una certificación en la educación bilingüe además del español como segunda lengua él puede contarnos un poco sobre su historia en convertirse en maestro perfecto entonces qué hiciste antes de ser maestro.
5: Antes de ser maestro. Mis vidas anteriores. eh, Antes de ser maestro, estudié turismo en Argentina. Estudié turismo buscando eh, satisfacer el deseo de conocer el mundo. Voy a ir más atrás en el tiempo. A los 17 años vine como estudiante de intercambio. As a Rotary Exchange student, I was 17 years old. I came to the U.S. for a year, and I decided, hey, I really um, enjoy this experience. I met people who live in a different culture. I met with other Exchange students from all over the world, um, boys and girls from Japan, Australia, uh, Germany, England, New Zealand, um, Chile and I wanted to see the world. So I decided to study tourism. Uh, studying tourism took me to um, a line of work in aviation. Um, I worked for airlines for a couple of decades. I had a master's degree in um, aviation administration. I studied in Canada in Montreal for a year and a half. That um, brought me from Argentina to the States with my former employer, United Airlines. Um, And that got me to Houston, Texas. Then I moved to the area of Chicago with United Airlines. And I decided I wanted to do something more meaningful with my life. I wanted to feel that I was um, repaying to society. I wanted to be... I'm proud of what I was doing day in and day out and my sister who's a teacher a dual language teacher just as well she also teaches Spanish as a second language um, she suggested that teaching might be something that I enjoy and that I might be good at it and here I am and it's it's an interesting Way how I got into teaching. I was researching into different um, career careers and master's degrees that I could take to get my license. And researching one of the universities that I got in contact with, uh, the person said, Hey, Julio, you have enough uh, credit hours in your student background, um, you could get a type 29 certificate she told me i was like "Hmm, that sounds interesting she was like yeah you should research into that because you could be teaching without doing any further uh, training and then if you like it then go for your master's or whatever you want to do so that's the way i got into my first teaching experience Uh, it turns out that there's such a huge Need for bilingual and ESL endorsed teachers. That if you have um, a certain amount of credit hours, I believe you need to have at least a bachelor's degree. You need to pass some tests of uh, English and another language proficiency. And then you have a license. You're entitled to get a license that allows you to teach ESL or dual language and here I am I did go back to school I went uh, through Grand Canyon University and I got my master's degree um but there's there's a huge need for dual language teachers and um, I am thankful for that but i'm i'm, I'm also really um, aware of, of that need and whenever I get a chance I try to convince people people that I think are gonna do a great job at it, that they should join the flanks, uh, the legion
2: of two teachers. So what drew you to a profession that uses Spanish?
5: Uh, in my profession, there are many things where I use Spanish, right? Um, my first language is Spanish. So I, I tend to default to Spanish when the other person is strong enough in Spanish to be able to communicate with me. Eh, creo que me puedo comunicar mejor y puedo transmitir mis ideas con más claridad cuando lo hago en español, pero eso solo funciona si del otro lado también la persona maneja un repertorio lingüístico de español lo suficientemente fuerte. Si no, estoy hablando demasiado difícil para ellos. Eh, porque quizá mi... Mi repertorio lingüístico es más académico que el de mucha gente que ha aprendido español como segunda lengua. Eh, lo uso sobre todo para comunicarme con los padres de mis alumnos. Mis alumnos son todos IELTS, eh, son todos eh, descendientes de inmigrantes o inmigrantes ellos mismos. Sí tienen como primera lengua en la familia el, el español por lo que generalmente los padres hablan el español mucho mejor que el, que el inglés y la forma de, de conectarme y de comunicarme con ellos suele ser el, el español y me da, me da mucho mejor resultado que si tratara de comunicarme en inglés. Eh, con mis colegas también, mis colegas maestros de, de lenguaje dual tenemos conversaciones como la que estamos teniendo ahora. Sometimes we revert to English, sometimes we go back to Spanish. We go, we switch back and forth todo el tiempo, right? There's a lot of translanguaging going on. Um, and we're planning our, our lessons in English and in Spanish uh, all the time. Um, and with school personnel, um, I, I noticed that I get A lot of goodwill from uh, people in general that work in the school. And we take some people for granted and we don't always see how important they are, like the ladies at the cafeteria, the um, supervisors in the hall, uh, the people that pick up the things in my room and have it nice and tidy in the morning. By communicating with them in Spanish. Um, genero un, una relación y un, un bond. Me sale, no me sale la palabra en español, así que voy a hacer un poco el translanguaging. I create a bond that's much stronger and I, I get things that some other people don't, don't get just because I'm connected, connecting with them that way. Y creo que lo mismo sucede con los alumnos. Sí, hablarle a los alumnos en el lenguaje que escuchan en la casa Eh, sirve también para derribar muchas barreras que hay entre la casa y la escuela, entre el alumno y el maestro, Eh, usar el el lenguaje que usan en casa y y hacer que la escuela se sienta mucho menos eh, formal y dura, y y quitarles el miedo. Tenemos material que le damos a los alumnos,
3: eh,
5: es, es parte integral, De, de mi With admin, um, we communicate mostly in English, um, email communications are 90% I would say in English, maybe north of that, mm, but and um, in, in the day-to-day, I use Spanish a lot, principalmente porque la comunidad en la que me toca servir, en la que me toca enseñar habla mucho español, y creo que es honrar también a la comunidad a hablar en, en su idioma y no forzar el inglés. Si, si la persona que está frente a mí claramente tiene como idioma más fuerte el español, ¿por qué forzar una, una comunicación menos fluida en inglés?
2: Entonces, ¿cómo usas idioma, lenguaje um en una manera cotidiana, uh, cada día a día?
5: Es una buena pregunta. Depende mucho de la semana, en mi caso. si ¿sí? Estamos enseñando un currículum, una currícula de Language Arts, en la que tenemos por semanas foco en inglés, foco en español. Eh, esta primera unidad, por ejemplo, que es un laboratorio de literatura, le llamamos LED Lab. It has a focus on sparking students' interest in reading, uh, spark the love of reading. Y este primer laboratorio es todo en español. Sí, Son seis semanas en las que el foco es el español. Sí, lo que tratamos de hacer es, si bien la clase es un 80 y tanto por ciento, diría, en español, eh, los conceptos importantes, los términos académicos, hacer lo que llamamos un bridging, enseñamos el concepto en los dos idiomas eh, no no reenseñamos toda la lección sino que el, el concepto se explica una vez que entendemos el completo el concepto por completo podemos darle una nueva palabra en inglés right i don't need to reteach translate everything to the other language uh, we teach it in one language and then we create a bridge Into the other language just for the concept for the word that they don't know. Um, And there's a constant switch back and forth. um, And sometimes mid sentence will switch from one language to the other. Um, And the philosophy behind it is that we want to allow our students to use their full language repertoire. Repertoire is the key term. See, su repertorio. Lingüístico creemos que se puedan comunicar y si su forma de comunicarse de forma clara es un poco en inglés, un poco en español y esta idea la puedo transmitir mejor en inglés then I'm going to say that idea in English pero si la puedo decir mejor en español la puedo decir en español or if I need to go back and forth because some concepts I only learned in English then I stick to English pero es, es muy fluido tratamos de tener Un, un claro lineamiento de que esta semana estamos enseñando en español y el material escrito y el material que le damos a los estudiantes para que usen es todo en español, pero en la práctica, cuando hablamos, usamos los dos idiomas y personalmente mi filosofía es que cuando le pido a los alumnos que produzcan I tell them, hey, you can choose your language I just want you to produce at your highest level, right? Um, I want you to show me that you know how to find evidence in a text. And if you can express yourself better in English, then you should write in English, even though maybe you read the text in Spanish, right? I am mo- most interest- interested in knowing what you know and how much you learned of the particular Tasks that we are teaching you, rather than whether you can do it in one language or the other. Um, Tipicamente, eh, los estudiantes son más fuertes en un idioma que en otro. Entonces, me interesa que me demuestren sus capacidades en el idioma más fuerte que tengan en ese momento eh, o el que mejor funcione para esa tarea. Eso es mi filosofía personal. Otros maestros son más estrictos y dicen, no, esta semana estamos enseñando en inglés y solo vamos a aceptar que los estudiantes escriban en inglés. Y esta semana estamos enseñando en español y tienen que escribir en español. Um, yo creo que pueden aprender más y mejor y mostrarme y demostrarme lo que saben si les doy la flexibilidad a hacerlo en el idioma que más cómodo se sienten.
2: Why do you think it's so important to have bilingual and dual language classrooms?
5: There are, there are many reasons. So, the, the end result of a proper program will be students who are fully bilingual, biliterate. Right? They are going to be able to think, read, write, um, speak, converse in the two idiomas. Sí. No es solo saber hablar, sino también poder leer y escribir en dos idiomas, es una gran diferencia el ser simplemente bilingüe y ser o biliterato que no sé si he, si he leído la palabra en español alguna vez eh, el resultado de una persona bilingüe que también sabe leer y escribir en los dos idiomas es más puertas abiertas en el futuro ¿sí? es eh, más seguridad laboral más oportunidades y también más oportunidades de vida ser bilingüe me abre puertas con personas que quizás no tendría de otra manera hablar un solo idioma me achica el mundo de alguna forma mientras que hablar dos idiomas me permite eh, llegar a mucha más gente En, en lo más inmediato tener clases bilingües en una comunidad como la que me toca servir hoy eh, es también darle los recursos lingüísticos a alumnos que los necesitan, sobre todo cuando hablamos de alumnos que son ILLs, son alumnos que en una clase bilingüe pueden demostrar lo que saben, pueden demostrar su conocimiento académico, pueden demostrar que entienden, pueden producir idioma, in a nivel más elevado que si solo tuvieran que hacerlo en su lengua más débil, si lo tuvieran que hacer en su L2, see, sí, en su second language. It is a lot easier to produce um, language and ideas that make more sense in your first language than is in your second language. Um, so for those students, and we have a lot of uh, second language um ELs in, in our district that is giving them the education that they deserve right and there's a lot of uh, legal implications into that. Um, students are entitled to. Uh, an equitable education, and if they don't have the. Language skills in English that they need to be able to access the content, then they should be given an alternative and. Bilingual education is a very, very good alternative. And I think it's not just an alternative. I think the the end result of a good solid program is actually higher uh, education. I think a kid who learns to read and write and speak in two languages from an early age will come out at the end of their high school with a neural network that's stronger and better connected, and they will be able to form uh, higher uh, level thoughts and connect ideas in a way that monolingual students might not always be able to do. Um, so I, I think that I, I'm smarter because I'm bilingual. And if I only, stuck to Spanish, I probably would not be able to connect some of the ideas I connect.
2: Right? Um, y por fin, um, tienes un mensaje o algún sí, un mensaje que quieres enfatizar sobre um, uh, sobre bilingüismo o um, aprender ¿Otro idioma o algo que quieres um, recordarle al, a la persona escuchando?
5: Dependiendo de quién me escuche. Si, si me escucha un futuro maestro, le diría que considere en profundidad eh, enseñar educación bilingüe. Si es un camino muy rico en... En sensaciones buenas. It's very rewarding. Um, si me escucha un, uno de mis alumnos, les diría: Hey, make sure that you never forget your roots, right? Be proud of your bilingualism. Don't let your Spanish die. Sí, mantenlo fuerte, mantenlo útil. Lee y escribe en español. No lo pierdas. Si me escucha Ignacio Gamboa, que siga por este camino, seré un gran maestro.
2: Gracias, sí, sí, muchas gracias. La escasez de profesores en el campo de la enseñanza es un problema muy grave, pero la necesidad de profesores de idiomas y específicamente profesores bilingües llama la atención de muchas personas, especialmente Julio. Él es mudeo de un profesor bilingüe benísimo, entre muchas pers- profesoras bilingües, pero me asegura que los estudiantes no necesitan para el futuro. Julio definitivamente ha cambiado mi ruta como estudiante y profesor para el futuro de una manera buena, pero hay una persona que empezó esta pasión por el español y la enseñanza. Esa persona se llama Emily Bishop. Emily Bishop, or as I know her as, Senora Bishop, was a Spanish teacher back in my sophomore year of high school over five years ago. Always a bright and vibrant energy in the classroom, her passion for the language and teaching it were never a secret to her students. And her example of a teacher who cared initiated a spark in me to begin down the route of education. This route has taken me through different experiences and opened my eyes to the realities of teaching, but that initial flame is still burning inside of me. With that being said, I asked to interview Emily to get her perspective on teaching Spanish as a second language in a high school classroom which includes all the problems and quirks that involve teenage students. 100% um, yeah, comprehensible input is something uh, profane John Myers that like he, <laughs> he believes in like to like the full extent. Absolutely. Um, how, like what challenges do you see being Spanish two and three? Like you're not with the students at the beginning and then but you're all like you're in charge of like meeting them where they come from and then like getting them to the next spot you're like the very middle of <laughs> their journey like what challenges like what are the, some of the biggest challenges that you see like in terms of helping them develop the skills in order to reach spanish 4 like ap level of communication
3: that is a really good question and i i do feel like spanish 2 at least in our district is the most challenging level for exactly what you just said. Um, have several highs that feed into Naperville North and into Naperville Central, have several private schools who feed in, and there are so many different ways that Spanish is taught. In Spanish too, my, my biggest challenge is figuring out where these students came from, what they learned, what the gaps are, and putting that all together. Then you throw in a pandemic on top of it, and many students, uh, well, most students were home for quite a while. And then, of course, hybrid learning. Uh, we've had to temper how we go about things to fill in those gaps. But Spanish, too, is very difficult from that standpoint. we uh, I've spent a lot of time this semester literally trying to figure out where they came from and what they remember and how they've gone about it. I'll start down the road on something and I can look at their faces and tell, which I'm sure Profe talked to you about. You can see it written all over their faces when they're not understanding. So it's being aware of where our students are and backing up and starting again, reframing it, (laughs) rephrasing it uh, because as educators, our job is to meet those students where they are. Throwing in the pandemic, our students are in so many different places. Spanish one is lovely because uh, Profe Myers, he teaches obviously all Spanish one and he has them as, as young learners. He has them at the very basis. So he is feeding into them, teaching them this language from the very first building block. And there's something so marvelous about that. In Spanish two, it it's a struggle uh, to get them as much as we can on the same page. And some are accustomed to learning more from a a book standpoint. Here you go. Here's how you conjugate a verb. Then you have the profe style, whereas they're learning through listening. They're learning through TPRS. Um, They're learning visually and uh, auditorially. So it it is definitely, to me, the most challenging level I have ever taught.
2: What drew you to a profession that uses Spanish?
3: That is such a great question, and it's such a basic answer. Um, as a high school student, I was drawn to language. I was drawn, always drawn to English. I love to read, and I love to communicate. And I knew that as a profession, I wanted to do something where uh, where I was communicating. I was drawn to the field of counseling, and I wanted to work with teens. And to be able to do that, I had to teach something, uh, and I'd, I'd known that. I was absolutely drawn to my Spanish teacher. She was a wonderful, engaging, warm individual who became my favorite. And we stayed in contact for many, many years. And her love for the language drew me to that language. And I knew I needed to be able to teach something to do what I ultimately thought would be my career. And that was to be a counselor. So I made sure I got my certification in in uh, Spanish so that it would ultimately propel me into a job as a counselor. And that never happened. The joy of teaching is as i've found in my career is a is a wonderful way to reach students it does not i feel like i do that kind of work through social emotional learning in the classroom as well as i would as a counselor it gives me a greater a greater audience and to be able to communicate to some students in their first language i find it that to be a joy too to be able to reach them with two languages so that it's a so there's nothing Terribly exciting about my story, but it just shows the impact that one person can make on one's life, as Ruth Lockyer did. As much as I loved my teacher, and she was marvelous, there was not a verb in the universe that I couldn't conjugate. I won all the, I was, you know, won every state award, you know, all the contests they sent you to. Oh, could I? Oh, look at me. I got medal after medal after medal. I was so bright and I was so good on paper. I go to my first class in college, a conversation class. I thought I was going to die. I got no input. I loved my teacher as a person. She was great. I, you know, I I had those workbooks. I filled it all out perfectly. I'd never missed anything. I was just, I never missed an accent mark. I couldn't say a word. Well, I could, but you know what I mean? It, that was very, it was very minimal because that's how we were taught. And that in a sense is how, because you went to Kennedy, right? And that Kennedy is very, very academic. Then you talk to John Myers and you see, well, he, and you know that he left teaching high school because of that purpose. He was, he could not handle teaching in in, teaching in a way that he didn't believe. And that's, I certainly understand. I feel like I stand like in the crossroads (laughs) in my heart. And you and I've had this discussion in my heart. I know what's Right. And yet I have to work with the team and stay on pace with them. In the spring, as you know, I do Locura de Marzo. I use all of the music. Guess who the person is who's always behind? Everybody else. I am. (laughs) Always. Because in my heart, I know what the students need. And I work really hard uh, at giving them both because you and I both know, you know, at your age, and I certainly know at mine after having taught long enough, we know what matters. We re- What what do we want our students to walk away from? We want them to walk away being able to communicate. Does it matter if they conjugate a verb correctly? Not when they're 14. <laughs> yes, as you're heading up and as you went through AP and those kinds of classes, that's different. You you need this. Obviously, you need the input, but you do need to know how to write correctly, of course. But we need less emphasis on the lower levels uh, with the academic piece, if that's what you want to call the conjugating and the tenses and all that, and much more on the communicative piece. So I'm thrilled with all of these professors whom I follow at different universities. When I see now how it's being taught, my heart sinks because I know it's right. And I have the daily struggle, <laughs> the daily in- internal struggle of knowing what's right. Yet, I work with a team and I work in a district and I have to make sure that I'm giving my students the experience to make sure they succeed moving on while battling myself, knowing (laughs) just having them speak and listen and talk about, listen, listen to podcasts and listening to songs. I would love one day to maybe post-retirement teach somewhere where in a sense I could design my own curriculum and just go about it in that way. So. But, it's, you know, but that's life. Life is always, a, it's a series of, of tension, <laughs> walking that line and making sure you're doing exactly what you need, yet also venturing out a little bit and knowing in your heart what's really right.
2: So teaching Spanish as a second language at, um, which is typically the, the freshman to junior range, yeah. um, where do you see like your students needing the most help in terms of language and like what are some of like the main struggles that they have with maybe just acquiring the language or some of the biggest challenges that they have, like comprehending or just like getting things to stick?
3: That is a great question. And what we see this year as educators at River North, the lack of input last year, I'm sure you're studying all about this, the way we acquire a language is through input through hearing and through reading until the input happens the output is min- minimal and think about small children how i remember particularly with our younger son he he had very few words however he understood everything that we were doing and he turned 3 years old and said please pass the salt so <laughs> input 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 and what i particularly over the last year and a half with the pandemic, the lack of input has really affected, has really affected our, my, our students' ability for output. It's made it very difficult. So it's, what it reminds me is we've, our, I feel our our, comp- our country has done all of us a disservice. I wish that we had started dual language programs years ago, that our students, our young, our kids are learning another language from the time they're in school. I would love, love to see that happen, because then it comes naturally. We, every study shows the brain is that much more malleable when it is young, and students pick it up so quickly and so easily. Hearing music, reading stories, all of those techniques that we did as parents organically, that's what our little ones need as they begin school, that they have that experience in, in Spanish or French or German, um, just like they have in English. And I would love to see, I'd love to see every district in America do that because what is lacking is the input. And when our focus is so much on the grammar, then we're missing about the boat and input is so important. I tell my students all the time, if nothing else, just listen to music. That is a great way to acquire language. You're acquiring it subliminally and you don't even know it. So that's where we're missing the boat is the input. And I see that it is, to me, that's been so pronounced coming back to school this year where the kids are missing. I gave a an assessment today, an interpersonal speaking assessment. Either these students had it and did great or it was very minimal. It, and it is not, blame the student in any way shape or form it is the lack of input so it has proven true what what researchers have told us um seeing my students this year absolutely proves what's happened so it's been a fascinating study on my own just to just to see this unfold in front of me
2: i mean that's what i'm getting into and like hopefully like with this bilingual like like that might be a little bit more lenient but it's yes it's still at the end of the day like we have to get students from point A to point B. It's like, that's,
3: that's right, that's right, that's right, and it's and that's what makes it difficult. We have great administrators, one of them me and your dad, <laughs> who guide us. Your dad knows very much what's right, but we're on a team. We we answer to a district, and we and we answer to parents and to a school board. So we have a lot of layers of bureaucracy over us. So it's it's a constant. I guess the word isn't struggle, but I I do feel like I have a constant tension between, oh, this is cool. I want to try this. And then, uh oh, (laughs) we had a meeting today. Here's the calendar. Oh no, we only have nine weeks until final exams. Oh, what's the final going to be like? That's that almost overwhelms me because I just want them to learn and to soak it up and have it something that they can take with them the rest of their lives. And I and I've shared with you before our, our older son is in um, he's in human resources for a, a major company. And he says there are times he's been embarrassed because this company's international. He said every meeting I go to, I'm the only person sitting there who speaks just one language. And he took four years in high school and did well at it and liked it and started taking it in college. And then like, um uh, maybe not. Now he says, "Mom, you were right. <laughs> I should have stayed with it." He said because he goes he says I've been sitting I've sat at a table before where they said to me, "Clay, uh, we're sorry, but everybody else here speaks German, so we're we're going to go over here in German for just a little bit. Basically, we'll be back with you." He says it's just a weird feeling because everyone else speaks something else. So, our we do live in a global community now, and I really feel like we as Americans need to accept that and learn, <laughs> and just to be more accepting in general. And also part of that acceptance is speaking another man's tongue.
2: If there were some final takeaway or final message that you want to remind to the listener about anything that you've said during this interview, what would that be?
3: I I will continue to say the rest of my life that learning in another language opens up one's mind and more importantly, opens up one's heart. And being able to, I believe Nelson Mandela said it, but to be able to speak to a man in his own language is so beautiful. And I've seen that from the friends whom I have made who are not English speakers and how their heart is warmed when I, even if my Spanish is not perfect how I can I can bridge that gap because I see their hearts and I speak their language. I'm showing them by, that they matter. And I think that's what we do when we learn another language. We are showing others that you matter to us. I want to communicate with you. I want to speak to your heart because I know your language.
2: Emily has helped me immensely throughout the years even after only having her as a teacher for one semester in high school. Having her as a mentor means so much to me and her guidance keeps me going. A dear friend of Emily's, John Myers, is a fellow teacher in the Naperville 203 school district at a local junior high school. After beginning my journey into teaching during high school, I had some opportunities to do some observations of teachers in my content area of lower levels during my senior year. John was kind enough to welcome me into his classroom and I followed him for a full day and took notice of the ways that he ran his 7th and 8th grade Spanish classes. John's teaching style is one that really captivated me, something I'd never seen before, not in Spanish classes, nor in classes of any other subject, which is what he will speak about now. So, How do you use language on a day-to-day basis, whether that be English or Spanish, at school, at home, uh, I the
4: say, yeah, I can say that um, when I first started teaching at Jefferson, I was one of the few uh, bilingual people in the building. There were two other teachers that spoke some Spanish. and i I felt like for about ten years, my I've started forgetting vocab because I was only teaching level one and I didn't get to practice as much. But in the last ten years, that's changed drastically. For the last seven or eight years, uh, I share my office with uh, uh, a teacher who teaches French and Spanish and dual language, who grew up in Spain. And what I find interesting is, when you're with somebody or in a group of people, you go to whatever's the easiest language to use. And with her, it her um, my my Spanish is. I wouldn't say better, but it's it's just easier for us to communicate in Spanish than English. It just, and, and my Spanish has improved drastically because I talk with her an hour a day almost. And I have a daughter now who lived in Mexico for a year and in Spain for a semester who I communicate with. I have a brother-in-law, um, Who speaks only spanish to my niece and nephew and uh, my brother his husband speaks english to them so i have a niece and a nephew that when i'm with them again we jump back and forth i just find it interesting though my uh, the opportunities to not just practice spanish but to use it because it's the the easiest method of communicating has quadrupled or more over the last 10 years in my both, you know, my, not in the classroom, but obviously I use as much Spanish as possible in the classroom, but outside of the classroom is where it's it's um, it's jumped up exponentially, and that's improved my Spanish, which has improved my teaching. Does that make sense?
2: Oh yeah, I like hearing that. Um... Because when I sat in on your class three years ago with the Spanish 1 kids, um, that was like a big thing that you talked with me about, just how you're using only like a set amount of vocabulary. And because it's Spanish 1, they're not going to understand a whole lot. So it's a lot of just memorization and sight words and things like that. Um, So I'm glad to hear that. You, find, you found like other ways to preserve right. those aspects of your language that you felt like you were losing. Um,
4: and so- I've got to know more neighbors in my neighborhood. There's, uh, you know, within 10 houses away, there's probably five families that speak Spanish and you know, walking around the neighborhood is just natural. Um, and again, this is getting back to my point, I hope this is not off topic, but I think it is on topic because it's happening in our school. Jefferson, we have dual language kids, Uh, probably 20% of our staff now speak Spanish. And um, when I first moved to Aurora, and I would want to use my Spanish, like, let's say I go to a restaurant or a grocery store, some business, and I knew the other person spoke Spanish, if I tried speaking Spanish with them, and they Knew I wasn't a native speaker. They would switch to English every time. In general, almost all people did that. Again, this was 28 years ago when we moved to Aurora, and over that 28 years, it's changed again to now. Whatever's easier. If I am going and I'm talking to somebody, and I I can tell. Oh, I'll say, habla español." See, I go. And if it's easier, boom, we just go right into Spanish. And uh, where when I was raised in the 60s and 70s and early 80s in Ottawa, Illinois, I had dozens and dozens of friends whose grandparents and great-grandparents were Mexican immigrants. But they, back then, it it was taboo to teach your children spanish and they would say you're in america you speak english you do not speak spanish that won't help you now these friends of mine that i grew up with um, you know we're in our mid to late 50s and they can understand spanish a lot of them but they never grew up speaking it and they still can't speak it and they're upset now they realize god that would help me in my job so much oh my gosh that would help me here uh i totally feel like that was a, an ignorant taboo that is no longer around. And it's interesting because I still get students who's, I just had a parent teacher conference and I'm not giving away anything, I'm not telling you who this one is, but I, I still have not as many, a few students that don't do dual language and they wait to take Spanish till seventh and eighth grade, but they grow up in a house where they hear Spanish all the time, but they don't speak it. And then i take my class and i realize wow you know a lot of spanish and they'll tell me yeah but i don't speak it and it's usually around the middle of eighth grade when they start it starts coming out naturally and and i don't grade seventh grade spoken because it's not they're not ready to be graded on their speaking yet it's about the middle of eighth grade that i give assessments where they actually get graded or speaking performance, and that's where nine out of 10 students that grow up around Spanish but don't speak it, it starts coming out, and I can even tell they're surprised. They're like, wow, I can't believe I just said all that, you know, and it's during the, the clothing unit when they're doing a fashion show, and they'll say, no, Felipe se pone unos zapatos blancos, Son muy de moda. and I'll go, I just said that, and I didn't even think about it. it. that's really enjoyable for me when I see this happen. well, um with TPR, especially in seventh grade, total TPR by itself means total physical response. So the kids, instead of just repeating, you know, right now in seventh grade, we're doing body parts. so I'll I have a chant and they and so eventually, I want them to be able to close their eyes and hear the words. And when I say cabeza, they'll, they won't they will just repeat or memorize it. They will acquire it. They'll, when they hear cabeza, they know, oh, that's head. When they hear pecho, they know that's chest. Halo, they know that's hair. When they can close their eyes and do the gestures, then I know I can move on and use that in a story because they've acquired the meaning. Now I can put it in stories, situations, songs, readings, and context. And then that's where they can start acquiring the grammar and the language and how it all fits together. And that's where TPR evolved from total physical response to TPRS, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling. So they're hearing the vocab and the grammar structures in context. And and so the whole idea is to give as much comprehensible input during class, but you have to keep it interesting and varied. Because if you just keep doing it the same way every time, the kids will get bored and not listen and not, um, you want to push the kids, keeping it interesting and varied but you got to keep it comprehensible.
2: Yeah. What was the motivation or the, the aha moment when you wanted to start using TPR and TPRS?
4: I was teaching Spanish at Naperville central high school and uh, teaching Spanish one and two. And um, I was, I thought I was doing a good job as teaching it the way I was taught. And I was working on a unit where the, the we're doing um, uh, adjective and uh, noun agreement. And uh, and I just thought, I've done this so much, talked about it, and the kids, are they mess up. And it's been like that for 10 years of teaching. The kids just aren't getting it right. Then I saw a presenter presenting TPRS. Back then, they just it meant total physical response, and then uh, and that's when I realized this is how humans have acquired language since they were human through telling stories, sitting around and telling stories. And I and uh, I think podcast is the next evolution in storytelling. Now that now that you, I'm thinking about what you're doing my wife listens to podcasts i do so many people and you're listening mostly to stories and that's when you uh so that was the aha moment and then i also knew that if not everybody in the same building was doing things at least similar there would be some friction and when and it'd be problematic when kids would switch classes and teachers and 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 teaching not just styles but this is a whole different way of teaching and i knew junior high would be a great age i thought i had you know i raised four children and i had i loved when my kids were in junior high and i was thinking of getting back into coaching wrestling and i knew i loved coaching wrestling junior high so that's when my aha moment was I can do this in junior high and do it really well, and not anger other teachers because I'm not doing it the way everyone else is doing. And if I'm the, you know, teaching 90 percent or more of the kids in a junior high, it can work. And it was the the best decision I made in my career is to move to junior high, and teach using this method. And I've enjoyed every year except one year, here. That was last year. (laughs) It's it's really hard. You can still tell stories Zooming, but you you can't see who's dozing off. You can't see the little eye expressions. You can't see the kids doing the gestures. You just, this was... uh, And I know every teacher had issues, but... uh, and I'm getting older, and I, I it, it was frustrating, and it does make me realize again, going back to humans, sitting around telling stories. But you look at everybody, and like, this person's not paying attention. I got to ask them questions, or that person is getting bored because this is easy, so I have to ask a higher order question to them. Which brings me to another, another aspect of this. If this is okay, I know I'm going off on of tangents, but they seem appropriate when you do start telling stories and retelling stories and practicing the vocab, this is a a way to differentiate instruction. When you you retell a story or ask questions about a story, there's four different ways you can do it. You can do yes or no, see no, either or, fill in the blank, or open-ended questions. So let's say a kid, a barometer student who struggles and you wanna get them focused, you can just ask them a yes or no question, okay? Somebody who struggles a little bit, not too much, you can do either or. Then I like to do sometimes a whole class response, but fill in the blank questions. And then the kids who are just picking it up like that, you can ask why and all in the target language. That goes from very simple to very complex thinking, so you can differentiate for uh, for again some kids still struggle listening, and this is not always the easiest way. And so, uh, um, grabbing another tangent here too, uh, uh, because kids learn differently. Obviously, for kids who are audio learners, the storytelling is great. For kids who are kinesthetic learners, the gestures are great. I also, we do visual sometimes where the kid, when we act it out, the kids visually see it, that's great. Sometimes we look at pictures in the book, we read it. so So it hits a lot of different learning styles. But it's really important to make sure it's comprehensible and it's mostly input the output will come naturally. So I just hit on a lot of things, but this is a topic I love to talk about. So thanks for asking.
2: <laughs> no, of course. I love hearing you go off on on all aspects of it. So yeah, there's no no worries about that. I remember um, when I was observing your class, you really hit on the the aspect of input and giving them the like the reading and then the the listening and the reading. Yeah. So like having them do the reading and then listening while they're in class and like how important that is to just like stuff them with the input um, as much as possible, especially like for the seventh graders, like since they haven't had any experience with language, most likely. um, Like that's, that's the most important way for them to learn. Like if, if you relate it to how, going back to what you were saying, like in in the most primitive sense of how humans learn language, like the seventh graders that are taking Spanish for the first time are really like newborn babies. Like they have to spend time listening and like being exposed to the language before they can start producing. And um, I feel like although the curriculum has like a fast track to like, start assigning grades to students um, because that's just the way that the education system is now to like give grades and like start assessing students as soon as possible. I'm pretty sure you mentioned that you don't put grades in for a while because it's nonsense to expect that from students that are that have never had any experience with the language before is that correct?
4: Yeah I do do grades but it's all input grades it's not the output grades so like we will do simple vocabulary quizzes i'll just say the words in in, in spanish and they just write what it means in english or you could have visual pictures you know like abe say oznatiz Bay boca say pelo so but you're exactly right, and I tell the kids in seventh grade, "Does it feel like you're in kindergarten right now?" And they'll go, "Yeah, it does." I'm like, "Cause you kind of are." And then again, by eighth grade, I tell them, "You know, you're starting to get in like second or third grade, maybe fourth grade." And and in English, that's when we start teaching about the grammar and about the language. You don't teach grammar in kindergarten, like you said. You just keep giving input, give them chance to practice, put input, input, input. You start reading input and to be a better speaker, you gotta listen more and to be a better writer, you gotta read more.
2: One final question, cause we're running low on time. Um, where do you see schools heading in the future, in the next couple years, in, in 10 years? Where do you think we'll be at in terms of accommodating for the, the needs of students in their, their home languages? I know you've said that Jefferson um specifically like a quarter of the staff speaks Spanish I believe you said but
4: 20 to 20 to 20 I would say 20 to 25 percent do yeah uh, yeah so which is amazing compared to when I first started here I can't see Jefferson changing drastically I could picture 10 years from now it'll probably be around that same and uh and it's hard to say, I, I would, I'm going to assume even though you shouldn't do that, that it it should grow in the district. But right now, anyone in dual language in any of the five junior highs come to Jefferson. I would hope and I to see maybe a school like Lincoln, they've talked about doing this, trying to get more kids in dual language at different schools it's not the same kids in the same classroom from kindergarten through eighth grade that's the goal and it seems like it's it's slowly happening slowly naturally happening and there's more bilingual and dual language programs around the entire state they grow every year and my daughter teaches a little of what I do and a little bit of uh, dual language up in Buffalo Grove in a middle school and uh, and yeah, if you're certified in, uh, as a bilingual teacher, you're gonna find a job somewhere and the, the opportunities are expanding. Um, it was expanding extremely quickly. Now it's slowing down a little bit, but I can't see it stopping or contracting. I just can't see Spanish. It just more and more people are speaking it, and it just seems more natural and part of our culture. And I used to think it's just where I live, but no, it's happening all over the country. When you, you know, I travel quite a bit now and just run into many different languages, Mandarin included, but Spanish definitely is just it's been in the continental United States for a hundred years longer than English has. And it's, it, it, it's not going away.
2: Yeah. Any, that was a great answer. Um, Thank you. Do you have any last comments you want to make about language or, or Spanish or bilingual Um, anything to just sum up some of the Um, things
4: you've said? i would say uh it, it it well it's yet to be seen how, you know if eventually it'd be great if our country just became bilingual and then kids start taking mandarin or some other language you know by the time they get to junior high like in spain my uh my colleague who just walked in she, she speaks uh Gallego, Catalan, Spanish, Portuguesa, Portuguese, French, French, English, and where she grew up, that's just common. And it would be like it would be nice. I don't know if this is a good ending, but it's hopeful. I would love to see the United States become, at the very least, bilingual instead of monolingual, and then um, again it helps it helps your brain to know more than one language it helps you to look outside of your own your own little casa and your own little mundo your own little world and uh, that would be a, i guess the way i would end this i hope i hope you know my granddaughter and my future grandson got a granddaughter and a grandson on the way by the way i would hope they grew up in a world where it's just you grow up you speak spanish you're in the united states you should learn english and spanish and hopefully another language or two. So that's how I think I would end it.
2: John's method of utilizing and teaching with gestures is not anything new, but is not seen a whole lot in our current education system, and it speaks volumes about the best way to learn language. Language is about connection, and it should come as no surprise that last year was as hard as it was for not only John, but for all formerly interviewed educators as well who had to deal with teaching over Zoom. Someone who knows about the importance of connection and physical proximity while communicating is Megan Starkey, a friend and mentor who's helped and guided me along the route of beginning a career in education. A language and speech pathologist at an early learning center in McLean County, Megan has a sizable amount of time working with students who struggled communicating, whether that be a language delay or a language difference. She works daily with students who speak a variety of languages at home, so interviewing her for this project was a no-brainer. With that, let's dive into hearing about her thoughts and
4: experiences in the classroom. Cool. How do you see language being used
2: on a day-to-day basis, whether that be your primary language, language you see used at school, um, what languages do you see being used, spoken at school, written, spoken?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, it's funny because like, so I speak only English, um, in our building, we have a pretty, I feel like a pretty wide variety of backgrounds and languages. Um, but we, so we have, um, Spanish speakers in my building and we also have, um, an Indian population. So they speak a variety of languages, Telugu, Tamil, Hindi, Urdu, um, there's a couple that aren't as frequent, um, but we do have a couple kiddos that speak some other languages as well, um. So I obviously am not speaking those languages to them, but I have to think about their language and their native language when I'm thinking about treating them as a speech-language pathologist or when I'm going into the classroom um, and seeing those kiddos, um, sometimes concerns come up from teachers, and um, those things are obviously what are brought to my attention. And so I have to think about language from a standpoint of them being exposed to English, because that is a primary language in the school, um, and try and figure out what their background is and their native language and how much exposure they have to their native language um, or uh, and English throughout their day while they're at home, those kinds of things. So that's kind of my role in um, language. But then I will say in our school, I think um, our building does a really good job. Um, First, we have uh, a Spanish, well, we have an ESL teacher um, esl ell teacher in our building and then um, we also have a spanish interp- like spanish english interpreter and actually our front office person speaks is bilingual as well spanish and english so they're really good about advocating um, for like making things sure things are in print in spanish whether that's you know the sign on the wall on the door for parents for picture day um, or the things that go home in backpacks so that there's that inclusion piece Um, because we don't have someone that speaks Telugu or Tamil, some of the other languages, we don't always have those things in writing, but we do have resources for that if necessary. So those are, and obviously from a language standpoint, how do I use language? That's like, you know, my main job is to figure out those delays, um, and figure out what kids are missing from a language standpoint. Um, but specific to my bilingual kiddos of like thinking about, again, is um, is this truly a delay for a kiddo or is this just a language difference because they are a dual language learner um so yeah that's kind of my language is like my life
2: <laughs> awesome you mentioned prior to that answer
1: mm-hmm.
2: um just utilizing the language that your students already know so whether right. they're L one their native language right. so like they're um language repertoire or their linguistic repertoire Mm -hmm. is that like a term that you've used
1: yeah yeah so like and a lot of my parents will call it like their native native tongue or Mm -hmm. you know something like that but yeah we, we usually call it um their i always try to say primary language um because to me their primary language is the language that they are exposed to the most and speaking the most um so, yeah, so I always try to kind of decipher, I, I try to tease out, and for most parents, I will ask, like, go, go through their day with me. When they wake up in the morning, and you're talking to them through their morning routine, are you speaking to them in Spanish? Are you speaking to them into English? Or are you speaking to them in both? Um, when they're responding to you, are they responding in English? Or are they responding in Spanish? Because, um, you know, some kids understand they're um, like Spanish, because that is what is primarily spoken at home. But the parents will tell me they always respond in English. Um, so I try to really figure out like what is the what language are they being exposed to and/or speaking for the majority of their day. And so is that like I had a parent today tell me, you know, we speak Telugu 70% of the time and English 30% of the time at home. So that tells me okay, that is Telugu is the primary language at home. And then I have to think about obviously at school. Um, what videos are they watching at home, <laughs> those kinds of things. So, um, But yeah, I usually fin- I figure out what is their primary language because if a kiddo has, their primary language is say Spanish and that is truly what they're being exposed to and speaking the most and then they're not doing well at school for certain tasks, learning tasks or how much they're talking, those kinds of things. Um, I have to figure out, is that truly a delay because they're not doing those things or is it a language difference? Because we don't want to not give kids credit for things like, oh, they can't, t- they, for example, they can't tell me their colors and they can't name pictures in a book for my kiddos. You know, they're little. Well, maybe they don't know those words in English, but if someone asked them those questions in Spanish, they would be able to. So we can't say, oh, that's truly a delay or not give a kid credit for something because they're not doing it in English because that's obviously not what they're supposed to most of the time. So, yeah, I, I always try to look at what their primary languages and then secondary would be, obviously whatever is second highest. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, and so for some kids it's, you know, they have three. Like I've had parents that both speak different languages and then they both, and on top of that, they're speaking English. So yeah, just trying to figure out like what really is the one they're exposed to and speaking the most.
2: Cool. Do you know what kind of, what type of bilingual program is offered in the district as a whole? Is it like a, a transitional where they slowly wean off of their home language so that, it's more English based or
1: it, so it kind of depends. It depends on what the parent, I think there, there's a, de- it is dependent on what the parents want um, to some degree. As far as bilingual classes, we do have Spanish, English bilingual classes from K through five and they're all at Cedar Ridge elementary. So um, that class is taught in complete, well completely in Spanish. And then obviously they they are speaking English, as well but primarily spanish um and i will say so they have to be screened and like tested to qualify for that classroom essentially it can't um you know not that people want this but it couldn't just be like well i want my child to learn spanish (laughs) but that's not a language we speak at home so i want them in that classroom like there has to be you know they have to be tested to kind of see if that would be an appropriate fit for them Um, but again there's also parental right to say i don't even if they qualified for that classroom, that I don't want them in there because every family feels differently about that. Um, So, yeah, that's... And then that just goes, like I said, K through five. And then once they go to middle school... And I will say, I think that some kiddos will kind of, like, move out of that into a monolingual class. Um, As far as the um, ELL services, that is more something that they could, like... I don't want to say age out of, but like that if they would continue to be, they get tested every, I think twice a year. So if they essentially had a high enough um, score for their English proficiency, then they wouldn't qualify for those services anymore. But again, those are more for um, like our English language learners versus our bilingual kiddos. Because I will say typically our bilingual kiddos, um, that is something that they are, I would say, most of those families want them exposed to Spanish in a learning environment. <laughs> yeah. So versus, yeah, some versus the ELL kiddos, they're teaching them English. So that's kind of the difference.
2: But. Gotcha. <laughs> um, where do you see bilingual education going in Bloomington Normal in, let's say, 10 years? Where do you see it? Do you see more programs being available? Do you see not much of a change? Like, where do you
1: kind of see the ball rolling? I know that they've added some things at the high school level so that they can graduate. I know we've kind of talked about this in the past, but, like, um, that they can kind of graduate with, like, a, don't know exactly what it's called, like, a Spanish proficiency. But I know it's only for Spanish at this point. Um, I think it would be great to have, you know, I think it would be great even in the early learning to have a bilingual class but i also think that there's a case for like um how much separation that can you know what i mean like that's that's a um it's kind of away from like a gen ed class right and so i think there's always that aspect of like how much of this is um inclusive and that we're not just putting kiddos like in the bilingual class over here right away from the rest of the school. I think there's always that piece that you have to think about because you always want to be inclusive regardless of if that's a bilingual kiddo or a special ed kiddo or, you know, whatever a kid's needs are. So, um, but I think that, um, I think it would be great to have it in the early learning, and I think that a lot of people advocate have advocated for it from junior high through high school, or at least having something. And, and again, I don't know that they are um, – necessarily pushing for those continued bilingual, because obviously in middle school and high school, it's different, you're, you're moving classes. Um, but for there to be something and just even like, I don't know if there are clubs here, but like something so that they can feel like they have an identity and that being bilingual is awesome. And you know what I mean? So that that is like promoted. Um, so I don't know, I, I will say this in our unit office, we have a bilingual like person that works at our unit office that oversees the whole program throughout the district. So there is someone that is representing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I hope that it's something, and I think even in my six years here, I think it's something that has continued to be brought up. And again, like that inclusivity and, um, encouraging, recognizing differences, um, again, whether that's language or any other differences, um, that we have, um, I feel like that has really been something that's pushed more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, again, I know there's always that line of like being inclusive and also having that separation and where's kind of that line. But I think that if we can start that at early learning, I would love that. So,
2: yeah. What about students that come from monolingual homes? Are they, is there an opportunity for them to join dual language or bilingual classrooms?
1: Not that I'm aware of. No. No. Mm -mm. That's a great question. I've never, no. But, and actually, you know, sometimes like for speech, my speech kiddos, I will bring maybe a peer from the classroom that is to be a good model for the kiddo, whether that's from a behavior standpoint, a language standpoint, whatever it is. Um, but I don't know if they do that in those classrooms. So but I don't believe right now that that's an option if you're a monolingual learner.
2: Yeah, So because that's something like that I wish I was exposed to when I was younger mm-hmm. because I really didn't speak Spanish right. at home. So I really came from a monolingual home. Right. And I feel like just having that ability to be in a dual language or bilingual classroom where i was equally exposed to both english and spanish mm-hmm. would have just helped yeah. in all facets. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of you of can development, use it, of, at
1: home you feel like or like at home and at school. Is that what you're saying?
2: At home like oh, okay. i i came from a, a monolingual, monolingual home, home basically. Yeah. So like in this case i wouldn't qualify to be able to be right. put in a classroom right. like that.
1: Even though people in your home do speak Spanish. And like you've said, your grandparents speak Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, And I think that that's a really important piece though with bilingual families, regardless of what the language is. Again, is that like, there's so much parent choice and like respecting that, you know, because again, some people um, don't want them in bilingual class. And like, I think, and that's okay, you know, and other people strongly want that. And so I think that's a really big thing of like, figuring out what parent choice is. Um, and that we don't have to know the reason why, you know, because everyone's had, like, different life experiences, but um, I've just heard so many different ways, right, that, like, um, they really want their child to speak Spanish, and so they only speak Spanish at home to them. So, you know, and that's kind of like a house rule. For example, like, when you're at home, you only speak Spanish, and sometimes it's the opposite, that, like, we only, we only speak English to our child because we really want them to be able to be exposed to both languages because maybe the parent has had an experience where they don't know English. And so they've had maybe negative experiences out in the public and they don't want their child to experience that, you know? So I just think like there's so much of people's backgrounds and their own life experiences that come into that and how they, and it's just, there's so many facets to that. So, but yeah, that's a really good point because, and I always, I will say, (laughs) sometimes speech therapists get a bad rap because I have heard parents say, my speech therapist told me not to speak our home language to like, or, you know, not to speak Spanish or like our native tongue to them because they have a language delay. And I'm like, no, 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 like, no speak, you know, cause then there's this impression that that is causing the language delay. And I always tell people that is not the reason that they are delayed. They are delayed for, you know, whatever. We don't know the reason, right. But we'll work through that and like continuing to expose them to that language because, you know, socially, like your family speaks that language. Your friends, I'm assuming, speak that language. Other outside family, when you call grandma and grandpa, you want them to be able to talk to them, those kinds of things. So if any SLPs ever said that, not everyone thinks that. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. because just to add on to that a little bit more, like I I said earlier, like I grew up in a monolingual home, mm-hmm. but my dad spoke to me and my sister in Spanish, mm-hmm. and he never really required us to mm-hmm. answer back in English because – um we just spent little time with him mm-hmm. versus spending more time with my mom and I was in a, a monolingual classroom learning English so the only time I ever was exposed to Spanish was when I was with him mm-hmm. or with grandparents which really wasn't a whole lot of time right. in the grand scheme right. of things so as he continued to speak to me and my sister in Spanish as I got older like I started to resent the language because mm-hmm. it was like I can't connect to him really right. I always have to like, he's just going to answer in Spanish, and I'm not always going to understand I understand, him. right. And in, like, hindsight, I, I'm super grateful that he does that, and I, I wish, like, he would have been more, like, strict about it.
1: Like, having you respond in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. because
2: there's just, like, so much I've missed out on, and I, I feel like I'm playing catch-up, trying, mm-hmm. trying to, like, relearn the language. Yeah. And it's, like, like, like you said, um, it's been, like, there's so many, like, aspects that play yeah. into that, like... yeah just getting into the, like, my seventh grade Spanish 1 class and, like, just falling in love with the language. And mm-hmm. then now, like, I'm learning about bilingual ed. And that's, that was, like, a whole different series of events that brought me to, like, this now. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, things could have gone completely differently. Like, I could have stayed resentful of the language. Right, right. But, like like you were saying, it's it's hard to, like, decipher parent choice and mm-hmm. be, like, you have to be respectful of that. right. But, also, you have this understanding of being bilingual and being Right. like just being a bilingual member of society and like how well, much Well, and do of a, you
1: feel like that there is a an expectation like when people see your name or hear your name that and like obviously the way you look right like that they're like oh you must be bilingual or they... oh do you speak Spanish oh like, I'm a native you,
2: speaker yeah, right yeah right. like that's that's the impression that I give off like yes, all the yeah. all the Latin guys all, like yeah. the Latin guy the. The, the Mexican, the, right. the native Spanish speaker. And, yeah. like, that was, that was my identity when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like, all my friends would be like, oh, a Spanish song came on Oh, Iggy knows this song. Like, right, right. He, he, knows, he knows all the words to this song. Yeah. Or, like, something came on the radio and it was, like, Spanish tacos. Oh, what are they saying, Iggy? Like, you got to know what they're saying. And I'm like, I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> I wish I did. right. But, right. like, right. I don't. And...
1: Yeah, I mean, I that's an interesting different. misconception, too, of like that because you got because for you, you're like, well, yeah, my grandparents speak it, my dad speaks it, but that doesn't mean that I do. Or mm-hmm. a lot of people say, I understand it, but I can't speak it, you know? Yeah. So then I feel like there's that misconception of like, well, you come from that house, why don't you? And it's like, yeah, every situation is so different. And now <laughs> you're like, I want to teach that. So I know, yeah. it's like a whole different thing. Yeah, it's very interesting. And like I said, I mean, now I have a kiddo that has ASL. American Sign Language at home, Um, both parents are deaf, and all three of their children are hearing. So, you know, think about that aspect of, like, I'm going into a hearing world where everyone is speaking, and when I go home, I can only sign with my parent, right? And so I just find, like, just the difference of languages and, like, just how that is passed on to your children and what they pick up and what they choose to use in their environment. Yeah, because I I have found, too, like, um, a lot of my kids, At brigham that have older siblings they speak english at school all day with their friends but they are fluent in spanish because they typically translate for their parents because maybe their parents don't speak english so then you have a three four year old who speaks both languages but primarily wants to speak english because they're speaking to older brother and sister and then you have the parent there who doesn't understand english and so then they feel a disconnect from their child because they don't understand what they're saying you know but then their older siblings you know and their older children are are not only interpreting for them out in public but also in their home with younger siblings so it's so like dynamic and i don't know there's so many facets to it so i find it like fascinating
2: (laughs) i know it's it's interesting like it'll be interesting to see how how language is like continues to evolve and Obviously, like, there's been pushes for, like, English as the official Mm. United States language. Mm -hmm. And, like, how wrong of a thing that is to say because, like, there's so many languages. Like, Spanish was here before English was. So it's like, if if we're moving towards a bilingual world population or Mm -hmm. if there's going to be some new language that takes its place or... Who knows? Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. Well, and in this, kind of, I mean, like I said, in this, like even just my small school, it's like, I would, I mean, gosh, we have to be close to 50%, 40, 50% of dual language or bilingual kids in my, in my school. And that's like a small school. I mean, you know, in even in Bloomington Normal, that's such a small population of that. So it's like, you can't, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right we're i've like wrapped up on all my questions okay. so do you have any like final message that you, oh, you, final you'd want to tell the listener maybe about speech pathology or just bilingualism working in a, a bilingual school like
1: yeah
2: just any big takeaway
1: yeah i think the biggest thing that i have learned through my experience as an slp and working not only with kids who are bilingual but also their families like i've kind of said during this is like just being a being super respectful of parent choices of how they are choosing to expose their child to language in their home outside of the home and then also um thinking about that whether you are an educator or whether you are are a person i mean i think it's especially important as educators or just people who are working in the school Setting because that's where our kids spend a lot of their time. But like, just being thoughtful about that inclusivity piece and like, what can we do to help them feel included or help them like that they feel seen, Um, and yeah, just making them feel like having a dual, having a second language or having their their primary language being different than what everyone's talking at school, that that's a good thing and that's okay. Um, and that that's, you know, that's a positive. Um, so, yeah, and then just from a speech-language um, pathology standpoint, I guess, just always <laughs> thinking about and trying to really tease out and figure out what is a child's primary language. My biggest, like, pain for me is when I hear people say, if if a child is brought up like, oh, I think they're kind of struggling when people say, oh, well, they just have they speak two languages or they don't they don't really speak English at home. That's a blanket statement. And that might be true that they don't speak English at home. But you can't deny a child the possibility of special ed services or acknowledging a deficit or delay or disorder solely because they have a second language. And that may be contributing that maybe they're delayed in both languages. But really making sure that you're giving them a fair chance and not just making that blanket statement because they deserve the right to those services um, just as much as an English-speaking kiddo. Um, so just being really thorough and thoughtful about any evaluation that a kid is is going through in the school system and involving those people who are specialized in that and who also hopefully are bilingual and can can help tease that out. So that's my... That's my, that's my cry out for the school system to make sure they're being diligent about that. Awesome. So, that's it. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome.
4: Language is
2: complicated and dynamic. Megan shares so much valuable information about how language is acquired amongst her kiddos at school, and it is so insightful to hear about the different stories that she shares about certain families. As we come to the end of this podcast episode debut... I think it is only fair to thank all these wonderful and inspirational educators once again for the work that they have done up until this point and all of the work that they will continue to do in the future. Mi carrera como maestro solamente está empezando. He tostom estos apuntes y el aprendizaje que estas personas tan importantes me han dado. No hay una meta más apropiada que querer ser un profesor tan bueno como ellos. Todavía hay mucho que aprender y mejorar, pero tengo tiempo y tengo paciencia. Personas, buscando. Espero que les gustara este episodio de mi podcast, que eres más, más ahorita. El significado del nombre viene de un amigo nicaragüense, Javi, que me dijo que ese nombre es una frase que se usan en Nicaragua. Se usa cuando una persona no sabe sobre algo supuestamente obvio. Este tema del bilingüismo y de la enseñanza del bilingüismo. Y el uso de lenguajes debe ser algo obvio, pero en nuestra sociedad, tristemente, la popularidad falta en las noticias y las redes sociales. Por eso es imperativo que aprendamos más sobre el mundo que cambia día a día. Usa el lenguaje. Habla con personas de otros países. Aprende más sobre una cultura nueva eso y escuchar I want to thank my professor, Dr. Williams, for working with me on this project and being flexible. I want to thank Rich Roll, a famous podcaster who has inspired me in countless ways to change my lifestyle and gave me this idea of doing a podcast for my project. I also want to thank all the educators in this podcast once more, as well as all the teachers and professors that I've had throughout the years that have molded me into the person that I am, allowing me to use the knowledge that they have given me to create this polished product. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. I'm not sure if there will be more episodes out for this show in the future, but if yes, then there will be only something of higher quality. Gracias a todos. Mi nombre es Ignacio Gamboa. Gracias por escuchar el primer episodio de Queres más, más a Lorita.